everybody, it is Diana here for your Behind the Curtain episode of Multiclass Theater. We have made it through one complete season, uh, which, you know, I'm fairly proud of. I am sure everybody else is too. I hope everybody else is too. Everybody, are you? Hello? Eh. Yay! Pretty happy with it. We accomplished something. We made an art. I'm going to take that as a yes. <laughs> We did make an arc. So what we wanted a, to do... Art. I heard it. <laughs> oh, you, you did art? Oh, We yeah. made an art. <laughs> and an arc. And an arc. An arc of art. Wordplay. Or an art arc. Ooh. Getting into alliteration early. Now, if one of us had been an aardvark, then it would have been aardvark arc art. <laughs> an arc of aardvark art? There we are. Wow. <laughs> we got off track like 30 seconds into our own episode. <laughs> My work Diana, done. aren't you glad that you don't try and railroad us that much? <laughs> I, I really... We will get into that, um, I'm sure. The perils of attempting to railroad this crazy train. So basically what we wanted to do is we wanted to talk about the season, completely out of character. We want to talk about behind the scenes, our thoughts, our feelings, our plans, our perspectives on how the season went. Uh, we have a number of questions sent to us by listeners. Uh, we are extremely grateful for those. There's some good questions. I cannot wait to ask them. Uh-oh. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, well, maybe we're a little. Anyway. I'm only a little um, scared. No, you shouldn't. We have good listeners and kind listeners and loving listeners. We love our listeners. You know, nobody asked any shipping questions, so... Which, I'll be honest, I'm very dis disappointed about. Really, truly. I'm not. I applaud you all for the restraint. Because <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest, I ship most of the characters. But, you know, that's more information than you needed. Okay, so instead of me talking this entire time, I want to turn the bulk of it over to you guys. I want to go one by one, and I want you to talk about your specific character, and I want to get a sense of how you feel about them and how you feel about the jur their journey over the course of these 15 episodes, and where you think they were when they started, and where you think they are now, and sort of maybe what you see as their next step. So why don't we start with Adam? Okay. What are your thoughts on Rotan or... And his journey over the course of season one. What has Rotan learned over the course of season one? Whew. Uh, not much, I don't think. Um, <laughs> I think I think Rotan's very much an experiential learner. Uh, I mean, he, he'll take people's advice, but I don't think he'll fully believe it, maybe, until he actually, like, sees it happen. Or sees what they're describing happen. I I think Rotan is is learning that uh, adventuring is is uh, not as straightforward as as he would like it to be. I think he's learning that uh, having friends to help you uh, kill skeletons is useful, can be useful at times, and uh, yeah, I don't think he's learned to appreciate. Uh, the shades of gray of the world yet at all um if he ever will i don't know if he ever will but he's certainly uh being tolerant of it which which is something i wasn't sure how tolerant he would be at the start but yeah 
Okay, a couple follow-ups to that. So you talk about shades of gray, which I think I would agree with you. And I think it's something that we see play out, especially in the last episode, which as of this taping hasn't aired yet, but um, we'll have by the time the listeners hear it. Um, so at the end of the season, Rotan decides, well, I don't know if it's his intention to burn down the Brotherhood's house, but that seems to be the result. Do you think that's part of his not being able to see Shades of Grey? Or is that just he got the arsonist bug much earlier in the season and damn it, something was going to burn? So <laughs> it's funny because like, I don't think of Rotan as an arsonist, even though like <laughs> there's been a heavy element of that uh, of that so far um, in his character. I think it's more that, um, at least the way I, I felt the character was developing, is that Rotan can be very single-minded about things. And he is, if he sees something that he considers wrong happening, or if he, or if he sees something that he considers an injustice uh, being perpetrated, he his instinct is to go and deal with it and right that wrong. And if he gets held back by say his, his uh, well-meaning companions from doing that, uh, he, he is able to hold himself in restraint. But I think like the longer he has to hold himself in restraint, the more frustrated he is that like nothing is getting done so yeah, I, it's kind of like like um, to use the cartoon analogy, like a character just like runs faster and faster and faster in place, and then finally they get traction and they blow a hole in the wall, and that's that's very much how Rotan uh, shows restraint. I think, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. At the at the end of the of the arc, he really is kind of a one man Spanish Inquisition, isn't he? <laughs> he just, uh, uh, but but like from his perspective, I think. Like, clearly these people were up to no good or were involved in something that was no good. And, like, if if you let that kind of evil just, like, sit around uh, unopposed, then uh, it sort of festers. And so I, Rotan really did intend to to uh, set fire to that building. Uh, that was that was very deliberate, even though he may not fully admit that to himself. Uh, but yeah, no, that was very intentional. Well, so, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely talk about this later because this came up. It, it appears a little bit in the episodes as aired, but there was quite a bit uh, longer of a discussion that I didn't include, um, but it's a fascinating one. In episode 14 and into 15, both Silway and Mist express regret over what happened in the Brotherhood, uh, specifically in having to kill the members of the Brotherhood. Rotan never expresses any regret whatsoever for that. Yes. Do you think he's aware? Or is it just, for him, it's their evildoers, their demon worshippers, they got what they deserved? Uh, I don't think... Hmm... I don't think it matters to him uh, whether they got 
what they deserved or not at this point. Um, it would certainly help if they got what they deserved, but regardless of whether they were mind washed or, um, or, or deliberately part of a cult that was deliberately like raising demons, uh, I don't think he draws much of a distinction there. Uh, they, they attacked him and he had to, uh, had to deal with the situation. And so he did. Okay. And I don't think he understands, uh, like for, for Roton's perspective, he doesn't understand why Mist and Silway are so certain that, uh, that these people were mind controlled, essentially, um, or were, were charmed or were not, basically not in the right heads. Okay. So that, that, uh, is a nice lead in, into my next question. And I'll ask this question of all of you. How do you think Rotan feels about his companions after being with them for 15 episodes? In game time, they were probably only together about a week, uh, which is weird considering it took us months to record and publish the whole thing. But uh, how do you think he's feeling about them now? I think he feels great about them, honestly. I think he is aware that they're not 100% trustworthy, and I think he's aware that they are maybe talking about him behind his back because he's kind of aware that people do tend to do that. I, but I don't think it bothers him as much as it would have maybe when he was younger. Uh, I think he has sort of become immune to it um, somewhat. And again, I think I think Roton's way of dealing things is very dealing with situations is very immediate. Um, like so, he may know that Silway is a thief, but as long as she's not stealing anything right now, like what's the problem, right? I I, I laugh because I can literally hear Silway saying, "Not a thief, not a yeah, thief." Yeah, you're a thief. <laughs> <laughs> One hundred percent. But I'm like like Mist is a bit of a charlatan, but but like uh as long as he's not doing it in front of Roton and Roton's not really like aware of it happening right now, I don't think he he's bothered. Because like I think Roton also like recognizes that people have to be able to redeem themselves, right? But maybe part of the cost of that is that he doesn't act on on sort of things that may cause long-term damage or people who may go back to their their old ways uh if you're not careful and yeah we'll see we'll see what happens next season <laughs> yeah I, I definitely look forward to exploring this more uh next season my perception's still going to be as bad as it was last season so <laughs> oh but that's one of the best parts about rotan is he rolls so incredibly terribly like just awful you know, that, that D20 rolled under my couch, and I need to get it back before the next season starts. Yes, you do. I do. So I can continue my excellent roll record. Although he does roll okay when it counts. I mean, he's not completely inept, just he has a lot of wonderful color. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and one other thing thing I'd I'd add about Roton and sort of how I've been thinking about the character... I don't think Rotan is actually dumb so much as he is 
just not used to thinking. And I don't know if that distinction makes sense to people. Does that make sense to people? As as an education professional? Yes, it does. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So, like, like they're just... He, he's lived most of his life in sort of this very pampered uh, situation, um, you know, on a continent half a world away. And, and uh, as sort of youngest child he didn't really have any expectations and didn't really uh well has kind of a shitty family situation to begin with and so he he really never got officially trained in a lot of uh sort of logic approaches to dealing with logical problems and so um so that's kind of how i think about about roton like if he really sets his mind to something uh if you give him enough time he can probably figure it out but he's not going to figure it out quickly. <laughs> okay, excellent. Now let's move on to our resident, not a thief, uh, Silway. <laughs> this was a big season for Silway. Um, she essentially went, I won't say went home again, but she went back to one of the places she's called home and really started her life. Um, she discovered a lot about who she is as a person and as, I guess, maybe as a sorceress of some level. How do you feel about Sir, uh, Silway's journey over the course of this season, uh, Amanda? I found it interesting. Um, I should, maybe I should preface all this by saying, like, she is not a new character. I, I have played her for years and know her intimately. Um, and she has a very elaborate backstory that we have not even started to delve into even if we ever will although to be fair you have tried several times mostly to roton who just yeah. keeps on trucking there's his. like just drives by those <laughs> <laughs> but yeah in all her uh, her previous incarnation she was never a magical character she was a straight-up assassin thief i'm putting thief in air quotes you can't see them so yeah i, I threw in the, the magical angle just to spice things up and i'm finding it interesting um especially the way it ties into a lot of the way that we've uh diana and i have worked out how magic works in this in this world and hopefully we get to learn more about that in the future now do you when you originally decided to tie in the magic aspect did you do that more because you thought it would be interesting to explore as a character or is it kind of more of a gameplay decision where you're like you know what i i just throwing knives at people's boring i want to hurl fire or thunder as the case may be um well never fire and thunder um i i do have a preference for magical characters in role-playing games like this because i find their options for character building a lot more interesting than just what kind of attacks can i make um so i yeah part of it was just i want this character to have more going on than stabbing people in the back but the other factor was I really wanted to explore what it would be like to play a character who's discovering that they have magic like in real time, as opposed to coming into the game with magical abilities. And it, it happened more rapidly than I expected. I, I was thinking the, the season would sort of gradually lead up to more and more abilities like manifesting, but she exploded with power in like episode five or six or something, and then just e escalated from there. So it was more faster than I realized. Well, I, I imagine it may have been slower had Mist not been like, 
you're magical. Yeah. <laughs> like the, I mean, you know, what, whatever hope of a slow burn you had there was kind of erased by mist setting you straight very early. Right. We're going to have the talk now. <laughs> the magic talk. And it didn't help that I picked wild magic as the origin. So it wasn't just like, oh, I cast a spell and I wonder where those effects came from. It was, I cast a spell and now I'm setting things on fire. <laughs> and now I'm, what, what other effects did she have? She had this, the walking slowly and something else. You, you grew feathers. a beard of feathers oh, beard of, yeah, in the catacombs. Feathers. Exactly. Very obvious things that are like, this is not normal. Magic is happening here. <laughs> yeah, the wild magic aspect has definitely been fun to play with, both from a um, sort of character perspective and also, as you kind of mentioned earlier, how magic works in this world. Mm -hmm. um, it's given a little bit of a chance to play with that a little bit. So over the course of the season, Silway... She meets several people from her past, from her recent past. Um, her former mentor, Celine, and her former friend Ish. in Trevor. Silway is always, and this is somewhat kind of OOC knowledge and me knowing the character for years and years and years, has always been sort of a loner. How has it been to kind of explore her like having actual relationships with people. I'm finding it fascinating, especially Celine. I love that selection of a former mentor that's not quite trustworthy to figure out what that relationship is like. I found that fascinating. Trevor is sort of an amusing distraction. Um, but yeah, it, 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 as she gets older, the version I played of her before was very much a loner, very broken. Um, and I always wanted to figure out like how she got to that point. Like she didn't start off being a loner, right? So somebody must have hurt her or something happened to make her want to avoid people. And I want to figure out what that is exactly. And I, I don't, at this point in her history, I don't think we've gotten there yet. I think she's still in the um, young, I want to explore the world and meet people and form relationships sort of, sort of mindset. But she is guarded. Like she's not out looking for, she's not the life of the party. Right. I think, well, at the moment her, her guarded past is more practical like she has an immediate, I don't want to say threat, but she has things that she's actually worried about being discovered if she gets too close to people and reveals too much of her past. Whereas in the future, it's more like that's just become her personality. Like maybe she's been doing that for so long that it just get, becomes part of who she is. But yeah, she's she's a guarded person. She's not telling her companions everything that she knows. The whole name thing is a reflection of that. Like she, she can't even really figure out who she is at this point. And neither can anyone else. So no, neither can anybody else. Um, which uh, the season even ends on that note, which is I think appropriate. Yeah, there was one point where Mist made a comment of like, "Dude, they don't even know your real name." And I was like, "Is Mist really convinced that he knows her real name?" Because no, yeah. but I I think Mist and I don't know. I mean, Mike can jump in here a little bit. Um, Mist has proven incredibly insightful at times, with in regards to Rotan and regards to Silway. Like being just kind of very blunt about certain things and kind of taking that subtext and making it text. Yeah. And I think that was actually really helpful in in where I had Silway going during this arc was she sort of was realizing like these people that she's called her friends and her family for the past five years, the Thieves Guild, like Mist was very effective in just pointing out like, yeah, look at this objectively, look at what they are doing 
is that how friends treat each other? And I think she's slowly realizing, wait, no, that's not. So very helpful to have a character that will just say that stuff bluntly. So without getting, uh, without, I guess, spoiling anything, because, I mean, to be fair, in all disclosure, we have, we're yet to start playing season two. Hopefully mm-hmm. we will start next week. Um, but where do you see Silway going from here? Or where would you like to see her go as a character? As a character, I really want to explore the theme of chosen family. So she had her previous family, and then she had her chosen family of the Thieves' Guild, and I think she's kind of been broken from that, and now she's in, in need of another one. So uh, that's that's where I want to see her go, is try to figure out how to form these relationships and find a purpose in life and find people that she can actually be attached to. And how does she feel about her current chosen family? I think she is more attached to them than she realizes. When, when, the, when the time comes that they talk to Arnon and he's like, okay, your job's done or not, or whatever happens, I'm not even sure what's going to happen. The natural outcome you would think of that was, okay, these three people who barely know each other and have known each other for a week should then split up. You know, why would they stay together? And I think a big reason they're going to stay together is Silway kind of pushing that and being like, no, we're 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 a group now and not even realizing why she's so um, attached to the idea of staying together. But it's because she needs somebody. She needs a family. So I will say, if you are a group now, then you must all think of a name. You don't need it right now, but, you know. We'll figure something out. You could workshop something. Yeah. Roton's Heroes. <laughs> I think the Mist Misties. would fight you. Yeah, I would say Mist would fight you for that one. So, uh, speaking of the our favorite... most uh, marvelous hatters. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so speaking of our uh, our favorite uh, dapper cat, Mist. You know, it's funny. For the longest time, like, and I'm, I'm speaking honestly, like, I thought Mist had a very... He was amusing and like ass kicking and but I thought his character arc seemed really flat like I kept waiting for him to take that that step in terms of like okay who is mist going to become what is mist going to be who is mist and I think we saw that in episode 14 I think that's when we saw mist take that step into that's kind of feels like where mist's story began at least for me um, how do you feel about the season, about his journey, about, you know, outside of picking up some amazing items, which he is incredibly creative with? How do you see his journey in season one? Well, I mean, he's a cat. So there's, I mean, I, I've always tried to bring that element into him and not just through the through the gags about mirrors and stuff like that. But, you know, a cat is... Uh, you had mentioned before that that he was very blunt about you know about things, and I have not known a cat to be subtle, um, sneaky maybe, but not subtle. That when they want something from you, they tell you what they want. When they don't want anything from you, they tell you to leave them alone. They don't they don't really do things by half measures. So that's kind of where some of that comes from with Mist. Is just he's. And maybe that's why he seemed to be a little bit flat at first is that he's he very much is what he seems to be on the surface um, because he is cat. But there's also an independent streak and that or that or I guess I should say independent streak also kind of comes with a 
sense of community because cats do, you know, people think about cats as like, oh, the the cat doesn't really need any, you know, the cats are lone creatures. And that's not, that's not true that they do form wild cats form colonies. Lions have their prides. So mist does have a sort of sense of, you know, does have a sense of community built in alongside that, that independent streak. Um, and I think what did it for him with episode 14 is he saw a group of people lose their independence, that the choice of all those cultists to attack the party was not something they came to individually, but something that they were compelled to do. And not even in the same way that, you know, a soldier might be told, go fight that person, you know, but in the way that like, you know, they didn't, they didn't even have an opportunity. Those people were robbed of the opportunity to think for themselves at all, which he found profoundly offensive because he's a cat, (laughs) you know, and uh, a cat will tell you what they want you to do, but they still can't. And they can annoy you until you do it, but they still can't compel you to do it. Um, they'll pull out all the tricks in their, in their repertoire to kind of try and get their way. But at the end of the day, you know, there's still, and there's still that sense of independence that, that he values in himself and, and, uh, and does value in other people too. So seeing, I think that's where his, like, if, where his story begins is he's seeing this threat out there that's compelled, like, like overriding someone's free will and that's just driving him up the wall um especially since he then had to become complicit in the consequences of that compulsion okay so let's let's talk about that a moment because as i kind of mentioned earlier some of it appears in the episode but i cut out a lot of it Hmm. uh when we were recording um you got you were upset like out of character you were angry at at least this is my impression you were angry at what you felt i made you do as the DM, like I basically painted you in a corner to take these actions that you felt went against your character. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Mist would have tried to would have would have actively tried to be killing any of these people. And so losing some of that agency, I mean, probably I mean, probably, you know, helped inform the character because, yeah, I was getting kind of I was I was getting kind of frustrated. Um, that it's like, hey, he doesn't want to be killing them. Why are you? And and so you're you you were dictating what his attacks were doing. Burrowed a hole in that guy. It's like, well, that's not at all what Mist was intending to do. So, you know, it, it felt it. I, yeah, I I felt like I was losing a little bit of agency in the character, and so I kind of turned that into his how Mist was kind of feeling about the whole situation that that he had. That these choices were foisted upon, foisted upon him that were not his, not even his own to make, and hence him, kind of, in episode, uh, I, I can't remember exactly when when it, where the break occurs, hence him kind of, sort of, uh, marking the squid guy. I think we can say what they are, but uh, say you know, essentially declaring, "I'm gonna kill this thing," uh, after after what it did. Uh, yeah, it's it's the end of that episode. He it 
the break happens after he basically says, I'm going to hunt down and kill this thing. And, you know, it's certainly like from my perspective, like I heard what you said and kind of how you felt. And I, in a way, realized that sort of one of the things I'm dealing with as a DM and someone who hasn't DM'd for a very long time is, you know, there are things that I haven't really thought about. Um, and I would say sort of subdural or non-lethal damage is not something I had considered. Because um, every D&D game, mostly that I've ever played, is let's kill everything. You know, it's certainly something I've talked about. And going into season two, there will be a mechanic in place, which will allow you to incapacitate rather than kill. Um, but it won't be something like you can take Eldridge Bolt and say it's, you know, it's not a Star Trek phaser where you can just flip it to stun. And, you know, I, I think there's going to be a way we can do it uh, so that you don't feel like you're just, you know, being a murder hobo going through dungeons. Um, but, you know, I, I'm really happy that one, you kind of, you brought it up and you, you confronted me about it. And two, that you took that, you took your anger and you took, you know, that experience or that ordeal or, you know, that bad thing that mist went through of being essentially, yeah, you were forced to do it. Now, don't get me wrong. There were ways you could have non-lethally dealt with them. And I kind of alluded to in the episode that had you not broken the round room, you could have lured them all back into that room and flipped on the, the room and essentially spun it around until they all passed out, which was the design of the trap in the first place, was to incapacitate. You know, there were other ways, but like that was the first one that came to mind. And but, you know, Rotan broke the trap. <laughs> So Oops. that was our that was off the that was just off the you know table at that point. Did Rotan do it or did the did the ice that I used to? It was Rotan for sure. It was Rotan when when he kept flipping the down, switch up and, up and down, up and down, up and down. I kept oh, rolling right, right. and he broke it. Sure, there's a circuit breaker somewhere. <laughs> back and... But I'm I'm very happy that you took that motivation and that very negative experience and sort of consequence an ordeal for mist and turned it into a motivating factor, you know, going forward. I think it's, it's something that's going to be fascinating to see develop. You know, I also like, I commented other place, I, I think 14 um, into 15 are like, I mean, mist is always funny. You were always funny throughout the course of the season and your one liners and your interjections. And, but I think as from a character standpoint, like mist taking control in 14 um, when, you know, Rotan is feeling all righteous about killing de demon worshippers and Silway is out of it because she magically slaughtered half of them, um, Mist really steps up in that moment. And I'm, I'm really interested to see that play out going into next season. Me too. <laughs> so how do you think Mist feels about his um, bodyguard and his local guide? going into well shoot you beat me to it because that's exactly what i was gonna say i mean that's uh, i and certainly i think from the from this from the from the onset at least at the start of the week that's definitely how he uh viewed rotan and silway as his as the bodyguard that arnon blix assigned him and then the local guide um that was going to help them get into and and uh get into the city and, and navigate the city but i mean 
you start hanging around with somebody, if you don't immediately take a disliking to them, eh, maybe they're all right. I mean, we'll we'll see where he's, we'll see what we'll see how they feel um, after you know they all reconnect in in season two. But I mean, Mist does have this goal of his new obsession now is finding this squid thingy and killing it. And if Rotan and Silway are on board with that, then speaking of mist and mist inspired things, uh, you have 10 minutes. I, was, I thought you were going to say speaking of squid monsters, but you no, know, Hey, no, I have, I have speaking of, of cats that tell you what they want when they want it. I just had pause on me. Um, Mike's muse is speaking. So, so I mean, mist, you know, it'll be the sort of thing if, if Silway and Rotan are down for it, then, you know, he'll welcome their their help, but if they want to go a different path, you know, he's not going to compel them to stay. Um, now, granted, we won't have much of a podcast if we don't all stay together in a group, so that probably... Uh, it would certainly make my job much more difficult. I mean, it's not like we don't already split the party on the regular anyway, so... This is true. This is true. I would like to say that you got better in the second half of the season, but that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you were the one who wanted to do the one the one off adventures. So no, no, no. The one off <laughs> adventures were great, but I'm talking about more like you know. I thought about. I guess once you got into the quote unquote dungeon of the Brotherhood, then you stayed together. But like yeah. even getting into the Brotherhood, you were all. Yeah, there they go again. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I mean, that's kind of his take. Is these are people that can get the job done. That uh, you know he feels relatively confident i think are not going to stab him in the back um but you know if they want to keep hanging out have they have goals that align that's great and if they don't well it's the life of a tabashi to kind of go from one thing to the next so yeah we'll see what happens so real quick i don't want to make this a long segment or because i'm nobody really wants to hear me talk that long i talk enough as it is but i do want to talk briefly about intended story versus what actually played out because you all truly are like herding cats. My original intention for this storyline, this was going to be a five episode prelude <laughs> to the regular story. <laughs> Is this your first time uh, doing a, doing a campaign, Diana? <laughs> no, but, well, it's my first time in a long time, and okay. it's my first time doing something, I think when I DM'd before, it was basically when I was a kid, it's just I wasn't as sophisticated of, you know, a storyteller or a dungeon master or anything like that. Like, it was very much, it, it was just different. You may not have dangled as many, uh... Oh, yeah. Like, I, it, and also it would have been much more railroady when I was, you know, because, like, when you're in... Even when you're running a module or something like that, it's very railroady, right? You know, sure. like here's your reason to go into the adventure. You're in the adventure. Open all the doors, which is honestly one of my super huge pet peeves that role players are just into now. Where like we have to open every room, we have to go in every, we have to search everything, every nook and cranny. Open every like it's like we totally did that. I blame video games. It really is. It really is a video game mentality where I have to basically I have to look in everything. <laughs> if there's a door, there must be something behind it and therefore a reason to go into it. It's not just video games. That's role-playing. Like, dungeons generally have been designed that way in the past. Of Like, there's treasure in whatever room. Go find it. 
Well, so the so the result is that the design is to basically that every door has a purpose. But if you're in a town where like there's a million doors, let's go into every single. I don't know. Maybe that's not what you're getting at, but. No, but that's, I mean, but that's a possibility and I like that possibility. I like, I think that's one of the things I love about sort of Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop RPGs as an immersive storytelling, you know, experience is that, yeah, it is, it is, there's a million doors. There's a million, like, I don't drive the story. You guys drive the story. And, you know, I kind of jokingly say it was supposed to be a five episode arc. It was, but like, I'm not unhappy with the way it turned out. I'm not unhappy with the path that it took. So how did you imagine the path originally? We show up, we go to the Brotherhood, we get the rock, we leave? Yeah, basically. Something like that. Like, it was basically going to be introduction, a little adventure on the road, you know, go figure out a way to get into the Brotherhood, go to the Brotherhood, and then come home, or you know what I'm saying? That that was basically going to be what the arc was going to be. So let me ask you this. How many of the detours that we ended up taking were things that we chose versus things that it occurred to you would be interesting for us to do? So like, like for example, the whole going into the catacombs thing, was that always part of the plan or was that something that you thought would be cool for us to do after everything else had been planned or that you were felt compelled to come up with because we were starting to push in that direction. I think it's a bit of the, the last one in a way it it was kind of specifically a response to, and, and that's the one advantage about doing this kind of week to week uh, is it gives you time to reflect and time to change the story as you go. And so it was specifically, we had recorded, we had basically done a couple episodes where we were, you guys were just going around the town. It was after the detective episode. It was you were going to Mugby's and you made the comment that, you know what, I'm kind of getting bored here. Like, I want to do it. I want to do a dungeon crawl. And so I started to think about it and I'm like, okay, you know, like, honestly, Celine was like, I had Celine in my mind because she showed up almost immediately, like as a way to get into the brotherhood. But then I started to think about a little bit more. Okay, can I how can I give this sort of dungeon crawl experience and tie this into the main story and tie this into Silway's backstory? And so that's how that kind of came together. So it was very much reacting to like your sort of where you guys were as players and then trying to sort of backfill that into the main story. I do remember that the whole, uh, I got this itch to roll dice conversation we had around episode four or five and then a dungeon showed up. (laughs) Yeah. Funny how that happens. You know, I mean, and that's like, that's kind of, to me, part of the sort of collaborative storytelling that we're doing. It's, it's, you know, it's a back and forth and even like something like, it's funny, one of the episodes I'm most proud of from, uh, from a DM standpoint, it's, it's ironically our lowest downloaded episode and that's episode six because everything in episode six is completely improv Is that the one... That's the one where you and Mist go to the Thieves Guild and steal the ring, and Rotan goes and gets himself invited to the Brotherhood. Best natural 20 I've ever rolled. It really, literally, like, none of that was planned. None of that was, even before we sat down, I had no idea any of that was going to happen. And it ended up informing, literally, the rest of the season. 
And so, you know, that's another great example of just like why I'm loath to try to railroad. There's so much had I just had it been a five episode arc of you just coming down, going to the Brotherhood, getting the rock or doing whatever and then going home. We would have lost all of that. Are we going to get to share our favorite moments of the season? Because I that that is literally going to be the next quote unquote. Okay, so okay, I would say just like as somebody who's also DM'd, like personally, I'm not surprised it took us a lot longer than five episodes. Like as I I've tried to run a bunch of like mystery one offs, and those are really fascinating because. When you watch a like a movie or a like an Agatha Christie mystery on Masterpiece Theater, uh, like everything seems to wrap up so well, and and people find the clues like exactly when it's convenient. And that's like not how it actually happens at all. <laughs> and then you bring in like four people who don't have detective training or like <laughs> any sort of investigative training, and. Uh, and they bark up such crazy trees <laughs> that that you just never dream of. Uh, yeah, so so yeah, that's not surprising to me that that it took. All no, of this and time. and the other thing, I've been very. But blown. I'm glad it did. It was. Uh, yeah, it was. Good. It 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 has worked. Like it's worked out. I think for the best. Like, and and that's the one thing I've been loath to do is I didn't want to have that you know video game or movie scene where you're all summoned and some npc says this is the great evil that's in you are the chosen ones who have to go like i didn't want to lay everything out for you yeah i want you to stumble upon what's going on which is you know more organic and i think more collaborative but also truth be told can be very frustrating and (laughs) Especially when Rotan says, "Yeah, I leave the map." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was gonna all on that same thing, and I was gonna ask you, Diana. Like, were there parts that you got irritated that we weren't that we were going off script, or that we like didn't take the the story that you had in mind and go with it? I, I mean, part of it, it wasn't like honestly. I think that was the biggest moment where I was like, "Oh, good God!" <laughs> I and I honestly like I was like, "Oh, this is gonna destroy Diana," but. This is what Rotan would do. I mean, otherwise, like, I've always had the philosophy that if there are, like, okay, so if there are are hooks that are, like, you know, hooks I threw out that you didn't bite at, you just reintroduce those later or differently. Yeah. Because just maybe they weren't strong enough hooks or maybe they weren't interesting enough hooks and you can bring it back. But, like, when you do, and, and like, there would have been a way for me to get that back out there again. You know, and worse comes to worse, it would have been some sort of NPC monologue. Again, that was, I think, the one moment where I was just like, really? <laughs> yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I did feel bad when I did that. I'm sorry, a little bit. But, but you did go back and get it, so. But it's he totally, yeah. <laughs> I, and I will say the other thing that, like, I find fascinating and I, I'm not going to tell you if you're right or wrong, but I'm fascinated by the fact that I would say all of you, but missed to the greatest extent, believes that everybody is out to either kill you or double-cross you. 
and that informs so much of the way you operate. I was fascinated. Yeah. When, when, when Rotan came back and said, I just went up and asked if we could go to their party. And we're like, oh, so those last <laughs> five episodes weren't really necessary then. I, I blame a recent Call of Cthulhu campaign that I played, wherein everybody was out to get us. And by the time we finally found somebody who was on the level, we still were like, I don't know if we should trust them. <laughs> and so I may have a little bit of trauma about that, Adam. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, personally, though, like, like to, to get back to the, the map, um, like, that's one of the reasons that I love role-playing games, and I find it so fulfilling, is, like, there are things in video games that are very hard to do because of how you have to script things, right? And so, in a video game, if there was an object on a table that I can pick up, it's probably important <laughs> to my level progression, right? Uh, but, like in in sort of an organic world like role playing provides like just cuz there's something there that looks mundane doesn't make it important right uh and and so like and and maybe if i was playing a clever character who would be like oh this is a really weird map of the continent to have in this you know semi sequestered room Maybe I should investigate further, but Rotan wouldn't care at all, right? <laughs> so the real world needs glowing auras around important items in yeah, our environment. He doesn't have that kind of intuition at all. Uh, <laughs> but but that's what I love about it. Like like if it was a video game and you didn't like pick it up and then get told what you think about looking at this map, like you wouldn't make any sort of progress at all. But saying to yourself this character would not find this thing interesting even though i know as a player that that thing is important like that decision itself has consequences in the game and i love that that inaction can have a consequence as well it's not something you see as often in video games and i wish there was more of it okay so moving on to our next segment Let's talk a bit about our favorite, uh, and maybe least favorite, but mostly I'd say favorite moments of the season. You know, whether they were character-based, whether they just were random things that happened. Uh, Ames, you brought it up, so you can you can go first. The first one, I think, there was a moment when, I'd mentioned before, when Rotan just comments of like, oh, I got an invite to the Brotherhood, and then Mist and Silway are like, Really? <laughs> this meathead that we've been ignoring was actually important to our quest? <laughs> and I think that's when they kind of, like, changed their relationship with him a little bit and realized, oh, wait, no, he's not just the the hired muscle. He's part of the team and can actually be useful in his own right. And we were wrong to treat him that way. And I think there was some development that happened there. I, I enjoyed that moment. And, and humorously, that moment was, I, I don't believe intentionally on either of our part, but foreshadowed in the very first episode where Rotan actually does bring that up to Arnon. Can we just ask him? Can we just ask him for it? Yeah. <laughs> ask him to see the rock. I mean, why not? Yeah. This isn't a video game where we have to go through some long quest line to get into the building. <laughs> why don't we just ask? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but my favorite moment was probably uh, 
the, the the party at the Brotherhood the next day when Silway goes up to talk to Celine and they have like a ten minute conversation or so. And I think that was really awesome for me because like that's when I was most in the moment with that character. And I know you were in the moment with Celine and we were almost like both trying to outwit each other with these two, you know, master insightful criminal people. And just it was very intense and I I, I like when it was over, I had to like take a breath and be like, oh, okay, that's right. It's just a game. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that that moment as well. And and I felt it too. Like I felt at that point we were like not just, you know, role playing. We were like, we were acting. Yeah, we were like, we were these characters and we were both like for reals trying to like outwit each other. Okay, so let us move on to Mike. Do you have a favorite moment or moments of the season? Gosh, um, I love the recurring joke where various characters are obviously flirting with Rotan and it just completely <laughs> goes in one ear and out the other. Just he he has no I mean, there's a reason I've worked that into so many of the outros is just it's so it's just it's endless. I mean, and there's there's no, like you got about as blunt as you could be with uh, Marjorie or whatever her name, Margaret. Um, <laughs> and still, it was just like, I don't understand like, what's going I on here. I did such he... a good job that nobody could actually remember what her name was. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he does call her Marjorie at one point. <laughs> I I really enjoyed the con slipping into the Thieves Guild and stealing the ring right off the hand of, uh, of, of uh, Feck. That whole thing actually going flawlessly. I know sometimes it's funnier when like everything goes to shit, but that was just that went so perfectly, uh, you know. And you know the dice, the dice cooperated, but that just I I, I just ride that. High. I've been riding that high honestly, off and on since we pulled it off. Like holy crap, I can't believe that scheme actually worked, and this didn't <laughs> just devolve into us, you know, shooting or stabbing at each other. Our stupid, stupid plan that actually worked. <laughs> I, I mean, literally, that was my reaction in the moment. I cannot believe this worked. Like, I mean, I was astonished that that it worked. Yeah. And if you'd gotten caught, it would have taken a whole two episodes for Rotan to realize something was up and yeah. <laughs> go and rescue you. So probably for the best. I, I mean, I'll be honest, because I was basically improving that whole episode. I had no plan B. Like, had that not worked... I don't know what would have happened. We would have had to find out. In the, like, I wouldn't have said, oh, you get captured and da da da. I have no idea. Fate presence gets us out of every situation. <laughs> that, was the, that was the plan B is actually the plan B was probably throw down darkness and start hammering people with Eldritch Blast like we did in the, like we ended up doing the catacombs because it turns out <laughs> super effective. Except Sylvie so <laughs> yeah. wouldn't have been able to see where she was going. <laughs> Ah, whatever. <laughs> she wasn't within thirty feet. It would have been. It would have been fine. It would have been fine. Something's going on inside that globe of darkness. <laughs> you know, though I'll say, as as I kind of alluded to at some point, I don't think uh, maybe in one of the episodes or while we were recording, you know, he was the acting guildmaster of the the guild, and misproved himself to be a superior thief. I don't understand how that doesn't make him the guildmaster. <laughs> You're so still stuck on that. Still stuck on that. But uh, no, but it's it's the idea that like even with Celine, like had you kind of at, at any point tried to throw down with her, like she 
probably single-handedly could have killed you all. Like she's she was not low level, you know, and and that's kind of even Feck was not low level either, which made it even a more insane or courageous move for you to do what you did. Because it really had it gone sideways, uh, it you could have been rolling up new characters. Can can you tell us what level they were? Uh, Celine was not quite twenty, what? but she was God! like. <laughs> I think she was like. What did like, she need us for? She's nineteen and a half level. No, she wasn't. I think she was like level fifteen or something like oh, that. Well, but you have to understand, like her whole. This is the thing with with her. Like her whole build is. It's kind of it's. It's not about doing everything yourself. It's she was the oh spy gosh, master. We were playing with so much fire. <laughs> you really were like it wasn't spy master. It's um, like crime boss or whatever. Oh my the god! Mastermind. Yeah. The mastermind. Like that. That the whole her whole. That's her. Like read through it in the in in what is that in Volos? Oh yeah, I um, almost made that silways because it's pretty badass for yeah. It is. It's but... like you can't read her mind. You can't like that's why like Silway trying to outlie her. That wasn't going to happen. That's so many hit points. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh! And, and that was like sort of the other kind of thing in the in the that I found fascinating, and the the, the one thing I truly couldn't understand. Oh, that's even more delightful than I realized. Oh, wow. it ends up resolving itself in the end. Is I could not, for the life of me, figure out why Mist wouldn't just give her the damn swords. <laughs> Oh. Like it, it became this like point of pride that Mist would not give up the swords, and I'm like, this just solves your problem. Like she's looking to make friends, and you're just like, I mean, which led to some great scenes and some great role playing, like Ames brought up. But I just, why wouldn't Mist give her the swords? See, see previous statement about player induced paranoia. Oh, I <laughs> totally pissed her off. Oh, that was a bad move. <laughs> but then Silway made up their their ally now. They're their blood sisters or whatever. Does, does that cover Rotan though? <laughs> well, I mean, I would I would say we'll, we'll find, find out. out. But like, I'm just saying things <laughs> like that. That what seemed like maybe a meaningless kind of epilogue in the end of the last episode when Silway goes and gives her the swords probably was turned out to be more important than you realized yeah just in the long term i don't have any plans but like sure that was my version of, of rotan not taking the map was this character would not just leave the city because the quest is over like she's got unresolved shit yeah and so i was like i, I have to do what's not of the interest of the party and do what's true to this character and go talk to celine one more time you know i think in in hindsight there's probably also an element of mist clearly has a problem when people are over like are are overwritten you know like like mentally you know in the case of the the uh the brotherhood you know compelled to turn and attack us like you know in in say zombie-esque fashion and what was she going to do with the swords use them to bind what's his nuts to be the new guardian of the catacombs the catacombs she was going to take a yeah yeah you know he he brought a lot on himself but that that loss of free like he, he wasn't even free to die at that point 
And I think there might have been, in hindsight, a, a resistant. Well, that and he was pretty sure that giving her the swords would increase her, further increase her power. And he did not like the idea of her having more power. But, you know, now that we know that, oh, it really didn't freaking matter because she's that lethal anyway. So sure. <laughs> I Like to me, I just like in a way, I don't know why you're surprised by this. Like she was the head of the Thieves Guild. Like, you know, I, I guess in, in Nightfall is not a podunk little village. It was a big city. I was imagining her like level 12-ish. Like even at yeah. the moment, I'm yeah. like, this is probably a 10 to 12 character. I mean, and, and to my mind, like, that highlights another big difference between Mist's character and Rotan's character. Like, confronted with a loss of agency, Mist gets uh, increasingly angry and then plots revenge. And Rotan just, like, does something incredibly reckless <laughs> and stupid uh, to sort of vent that off, I think. <laughs> okay, so, Adam, what are your... Uh, what is your favorite? Oh, man. Can I do one for each character? Yeah, you can. So for Silway, definitely that, that last scene with uh, Celine in the Thieves Guild. Um, that was very intense and very cool. And it sort of caught me out of the blue when uh, when Ames said she wanted her character to go back like that. I was like, oh, that seems super dangerous, but okay. <laughs> Let's see where this goes. And uh and it was such an intense scene, uh, and I really liked how it turned out. Uh Mist sneezing was hands down my favorite Mist scene. That was so much fun. <laughs> Just hearing Mike sneeze for fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that Mike almost hyperventilated because uh, <laughs> his dice weren't rolling well. Um those are the most adorable little sneezes, and I was very happy about that. For Rotan, as a player, I was really happy during the speech to the Thieves Guild, but my favorite Rotan moments are when he's with Gruber. Really, like, every every subsequent scene with Gruber brings me more joy. And... I it's such a testament to how well you play him, Diana. I think uh, they're they're just such wonderful foils to each other. And oh, the Rotan Gruber scenes—they're oh. they are such delight to re-listen to. And like like honestly, I mean, we record so much that I forget a lot of the things that I say as Rotan. <laughs> and uh, and so I'll I'll hear myself say something and I'll laugh out loud because he'll be like, oh. <laughs> that was really quite clever of me. I I did not think I said that. <laughs> but but like listening back to the Gruber Roton scenes, like they really like get me in the chest. Like they're just so uh they're so impactful. They're such a joy. Uh so yeah, yeah, I'd have to say that for Roton. I, I kind of echo a lot of what you've said in terms of my favorite moments um, over the course of the season. Yeah. What were your favorites, Diane? I tend to really like the character moments. I like when like all three of you do something that deepens your character. You know, Silway, I think definitely the conversations with Celine. Um, and then there's some other moments like with, with Trevor. I think she shows a little bit more. Um, you know, I don't get me wrong. I love all the really funny stuff and the ridiculous stuff and the jokes. 
you know, my favorite jokes and and lines. I love that when they come out in character. Um, and I, I love that about our our show or our podcast is that so much of the humor is derived from the characters. It's not us just throwing in, you know, Star Wars references or Harry Potter references. Not that we don't do that, but it's a lot of the, the humor really truly comes out of the characters. And I love that. Um, but I also love the fact that it's when I see those moments of growth, you know, there is, I, I really loved the scene w between Mist and Rotan where Rotan calls Mist out for patronizing him because Mist thinks he's going to put one over on him and he's going to just basically use his overzealousness to get what he wants. And Rotan's like, look, I'm not an idiot. And I, I thought that was a fantastic scene. Like, I love because Rotan could easily be a very one dimensional character, just this sort of blowhardy, oblivious, you know, empty suit of armor, if you will. But I think you play him with such, you give these moments of depth and you see it in his relationship with Gruber, I think. You know, even if Gruber is completely ridiculous, but, you know, like, I, I really love the scene where there is no ridiculousness when Gruber is basically trying to cheer Rotan up and say, no, you're not a moron. Don't think this of yourself. You're the bravest, smartest man I know, which, yeah, it's Gruber saying it, but still, <laughs> like, it's, I think that there was just an earnestness and an honesty to that that I really loved, you know, and I really loved in, you know, as I said earlier in episode 14, where Mist kind of takes control and gets angry about something for the first time, rather than being sort of just this aloof kind of cat person, you know, he, he gets angry about what this, you know, mind flayer has done and what the flayer has made him do by extension and that he swears revenge. And it, it feels like it gives him, a, you know, urgency and purpose. And, and I'm really excited to see how that plays out. You know, and then I, I mentioned earlier, like episode six, from just a personal standpoint, like the way that sort of came together. And, you know, I was on a high doing that whole thing. It reminded me of back when we used to role play in Lord of the Rings Online and everything would just start clicking. And, you know, it's that's my favorite thing about role playing when everything just kind of starts clicking together. Um, and it's it's beautiful. It's those were my favorite moments of the season. Hmm. All right. So let us move into the last uh, kind of, I guess you could say, uh, segment. And that is uh, questions. Questions you may have for each other. Questions listeners have asked. Listener mail. Ding. Listener mail. I have I have a lot of Gruber questions. I'm, <laughs> I will answer them. <laughs> But not first. <laughs> How did this stupid character become like the fan favorite? Gruber is an enigma to us all. <laughs> he, he, he is. So, uh, okay. So um, I, I got a bunch of just under the deadline. I did get a bunch of wonderful questions from Aaron. Um, so thank you, Aaron, for, for reaching out with them. And I'll, I'll, I'll lead off with one of her questions. Uh, and this is for Mike. And this is actually comes from our episode zero 
uh, which is on our Patreon. Ooh. Okay. And Aaron wants to know what happened to Shing. <laughs> so, for context, when we were first kind of deciding, a is this whole thing going to work? Where we are playing from four different states, we did a uh, sort of an episode zero, which is a prologue to what is apparently supposed to be the prologue to uh, the actual campaign. Uh, just learned that part today, and I thought I was going to be playing a uh, a Kenku swashbuckler who went by the name of Shing. You know, the the sound of a sword being drawn, because rapier. And I still love the idea of the character, and I actually have a list of things that uh, Shing can say and the voices in which he says them. These come from various sources, things that I would find funny, uh, and then also things that Rotan and Silway said that... uh, became that that he just memorized uh, as uh, being a kenku i actually really enjoyed mimicking rotan's voice um but what happened was entire well okay it was twofold first as a character to play i had there was a there was a two-step process to any time he needed to say something which was i had to figure out what he would want to say and then i would have to go to his list of things to say and figure out what can he say from this list that would fit the scene? And by the time that all got accomplished, we had moved on. You know, the opportunity to speak would have moved on. Um, it's sort of like being an introvert twice, because you pause, you figure out what you're going to say, and then by the time you're ready to say it, the conversation's moved on, but now there's another layer of actually figuring out the exact words that you're allowed to use. Anywho, so... For for a purely audio medium, he just wasn't working. That's not to say that he can't show up again, but uh, he just wasn't he wasn't as active of a character as I wanted him to be. Even though Kenku by design are kind of passive, it just it was just it was just too much. I absolutely love the character. I absolutely loved the mechanics of the swashbuckler being a fencer myself. It just, but it just wasn't working for what we were trying to do as far as the campaign. So uh, I've got another question here uh, from Amanda from your brother Kent. Oh, hey Kent. He actually has uh, two questions. Um, one of which is sort of a procedural question about when the mid rolls are recorded. Uh, I can answer that one quickly. Uh, whenever we find the time, um, we recorded, for example, the mid roll for episode fifteen. The week before it came out, we recorded episode 15 back in November. So, you know, we're timely with them. (laughs) And then he has another question for, I guess you could say for, I I will say for Adam. And this takes us back to episode eight, I believe. He wants to know, how old is Rotan that everyone thinks he is Silway's dad? Oh, uh, how old is Rotan? Let me... Go pull up my character sheet. Uh. <laughs> I, I mean, I can answer the second part in that it's kind of a dumb joke. Like, so it probably doesn't make sense once you hear his age. But like most things, I don't allow logic to get in the way of what amuses me. I figured Trevor being a, a young teenager was probably like, anyone over 25 is old. And, and I think that Rotan's very tall and intimidating with a big, deep voice. So maybe... And Trevor's not that bright, 
but he's not the only one who makes that mistake. Yeah, I um, I actually don't have a specific idea of how old he is. Sort of vaguely tw- late twenties, maybe thirties, might even be mid twenties, but sort of has, I don't know. Let's call it a Tom Cruise esque quality to him, where you're not quite sure how old he is. Well, he is half elf, so he is half elf too. That that probably contributes. But yeah, like in my mind, he's like he is an adult, and he has been an adult for some number of years, uh, but hasn't quite grown up in every way yet. I, I mean, putting aside the whole like, if this was medieval times, you'd be dead by thirty-five thing. How old was he in the flashback episode that we played? Oh, how old was young Rotan? Uh, did I put an age on that sheet? I thought he was somewhere like 16, 17. Like he was a little younger than Silway is now. Yeah, I think that's what we were saying. Yeah. We had the discussion during the episode. I just listened to this. And yeah, it was something like, because he was using like a squeaky teenager voice you were using for him. Yeah, yeah. And so we actually asked, we're like, how old is he right now? And you were like, uh, teens, you know. (laughs) He hit puberty real late, I guess. Yeah, that voice came in late. I mean, he could have been as young as, as, I don't know, 10 or 12 in that episode, but, uh, but yeah. Oh, but also, like, the, I think the fact that he is a half-elf gives you room to play with. Like, he may not mature as quickly as, let's say, a human would. Yeah. And certainly he hasn't matured at the same rate that, like, a normal person would because <laughs> of life things. But yeah. Yeah. So... Probably 20s to 30s, some, somewhere in that range. Not much older than that. That's a nice, broad <laughs> target to hit. Okay, so this, this question is actually from me to, uh, to you, Ames. Do you think Silway's ever going to figure out how to change her hair back? Um, no. <laughs> I think Mist is going to figure it out uh, as the only magical person <laughs> who actually understands magic. What I what I intend to do in the next season is uh Zoe has learned the alter self spell. And she's learned that because she keeps trying to like magically alter it, and then it keeps altering itself back because Armand is more powerful with magic than she is. So there might be a running gag where like, damn it, my hair's blonde again. Spell slot used. <laughs> Speaking of another ridiculously powerful character that you wouldn't think would be that powerful. Right. Armand that is true polymorph and he runs a tailor <laughs> shop. <laughs> Pretty much. You know, I mean, you got to follow your heart. Yes, I look forward to that running gag the next season. Are there more listener questions? Uh, I think that was pretty much it. I think I would As run the person through... has to edit this, this stuff. <laughs> no, I thought, let me just look. Oh, um, uh, yeah, there was one other question. Uh, which um, I'm not going to read all of it because it's sort of embarrassing. But um, is there are there plans... Uh, for the role of DM to rotate to other cast members in the future? Uh, not while Rotan breathes. <laughs> you know, I, I think from my perspective, I have a story that I very much want to tell. Like, sort of once that story's told, you know, I at that point, I'm fine. So if we were to do, like, a second campaign, you know, I, I would be fully willing and happy to pass the torch but at this time i kind of want to see i feel like the story's just getting started yeah 
you know, we also, but we have like, and I, I think maybe we'll put them up on the Patreon. Um, we did actually do a two-part adventure that Adam DM'd uh, with the three of us as player characters, which was a lot of fun uh, in his little homebrewed world or a corner of it. And after we end this, if we ever do end this, we are going to actually play an adventure in Mike's homebrewed world. Okay. So, all right. So I've gotten a lot of questions about Gruber. I say one of the first ones I got is um, somebody asked what race Gruber is. Gruber is human. People have asked me, what does Gruber look like? And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to ask all of you. I'd like each one of you to describe in your head what you think Gruber looks like. So uh, we'll start with, well, we'll start with uh, Gruber's best friend, mentor, and idol, Adam. Well, not Adam, Roton, but you know. I I think of Gruber as like just under five feet, maybe. Clean shaven with like sort of this mousy like tousel of hair. Uh, sort of a, a round face, uh, a big nose, and sort of a uh, sort of a broad-shouldered uh, silhouette. Yeah, but not not muscular, not fat either. Just sort of shorter and squatter. Okay, uh, Amanda, do you want to go next? Oh, this is a really hard question to answer because, like, I don't picture things. It's it's weird. Um, so yeah, I honestly have no idea what he looks like, but I guess I always assumed he like pick any random peasant from like Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and that's probably what he looks like. <laughs> I think that's a good. Uh, I think that's a good way to look at it. What about you, Mike? Uh, kind of the same. I mean, so if you took Michael Palin, Michael Palin's peasant from, uh, from Holy Grail. And crossed him with the peasants from Warcraft. That's kind of what I see. <laughs> Job's done. Yeah, basically. So what does he actually look like? Uh, you know, the funny thing about it is, I don't really know. And that's why I kind of asked you guys. It's funny, with like all the other characters I play, I can tell you exactly what they look like. And it informs a lot of sort of their voice and their physicality and so forth. But with Gruber, like, I don't really, like, I kind of agree where it's that sort of generic-y Monty Python, you know, if you crossed Terry Jones with Michael Palin, that's kind of where you're, where you are. You know, because really, honestly, the inspiration for Gruber comes from, I, I guess, a mixture of two characters. One is, um, if you've seen Time Bandits, uh, Benson, who is the minion of evil, even though that's not Gruber's personality, but that just sort of eagerness to please. And then the other one would be, if you've seen Monty Python and the Meaning of Life, in the section where they're in Africa, um, there's just this little scene where Terry Jones comes up to John Cleese, who's the doctor, and he's reporting all the carnage and all the death and uh, that has happened on the battlefield. And John Cleese says, you know, something like, well, yes, but you see, one of the officers has lost a leg. And he's like, oh, no, sir. 
And that like <laughs> that moment of just like disregarding and ignoring everything that's probably important and more important than what's going on for the sake of this one person is the essence of Gruber. I totally see that. I've just realized that Gruber Gruber is a Monty Th- Python Gumby in my head. I could see some of that too. I mean, he's he's definitely a Monty Python character. Like so many of my, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, one of the questions Aaron's, Aaron asked was like, where do I come up with my voices and where do I get them? And And most of them are like flat out Monty Python. Like I grew up on Monty Python. I mimicked Monty Python for years and years and years. So it's like, it's too easy for me. To, that's the well I always go back to. Like, and some of them just like, how do you think of, I'm like, I don't. Like Gruber was literally, if you've listened to episode zero, it's Adam saying, I walk up to somebody on the street and me casting about going, uh, I need a voice for this person and I need a name. <laughs> And I need a reason for being. It is yes. ham. And yes. Adam and the ham thing was like and Adam you asked where the name came from. And I it just it popped into my head. I think it's a mixture of I don't know if I was thinking of Mick Gruber and that's where it came from, or I was thinking of Hans Gruber from Die Hard. But one of those two <laughs> oh, things is <laughs> I think one of those two Plot things twist. popped into my head and that's where Gruber came from. That's right, folks. You heard it here first. If you want to imagine what Gruber looks like, it's it's about half Hans Gruber from from Die Hard, <laughs> and half Mick Gruber. Yeah. Alan Rickman meets Will Arnett. Okay, or no, not Will Arnett. Will, Which one Will is, Forte. Uh, Will Forte. So yeah, and that's that's kind of where Gruber came from. And you know, and the voice thing is like some of my practices. They're for bigger characters. I do think about them and talk to myself and then there's others which is literally like you guys walking up and going okay i need somebody to talk to and me going uh okay what does this person sound like honestly that's what i love about these kinds of games like that that whole thing was organic and i as a player couldn't have guessed like i assumed you'd had gruber in your back pocket as a as a character and like i that that's so cool yeah so you interfaced him really well i mean the voice i had but the rest was even the ham thing was just it was me saying okay we had talked about gruber being like we had talked about and in episode zero we talk about this a little bit about rotan getting retainers and possibly having, you know, some sort of staff. And so I thought, well, you know, hey, what if I brought somebody back and I was looking for some sort of encounter on the road to sort of spice up that episode? And I'm like, well, I kind of like this voice. And, you know, it snowballed from there. And also, I like making incredibly stupid characters. <laughs> like, there's nothing... <laughs> There right there time, with you, Diana. <laughs> I, I just like, I mean, and not that he's not earnest and not, but it's just like, there are times when I listen to something. Like, I, I think I was listening to um, the play that opens um, 14, I think, or 13. No, it's 13. And the whole time I'm going, God, this is so dumb. This is so dumb. But it made me so happy. But it was so dumb. And I don't say it as a pejorative, but like I think there's so much in in our show that is just so dumb. 
but is so wonderful. So, um, okay, well then, I guess this wraps up our first Behind the Curtain episode. I hope you enjoyed it. We definitely enjoyed talking about the adventure. Uh, we look forward to having you along with us next season. Um, I've got some really fun plans. Um, I will give you a bit of a sneak preview uh, in that, whereas season one was sort of very centered on Silway, um, at least in terms of her backstory and maybe her moral issues. In season two, we are going to explore Roton. So if Ooh. you needed some sort of teaser or reason to come back, I think that should. And then season three, we'll explore Mist, but someone Ooh. needs to figure out a backstory first. <laughs> Spoilers. And also we assume everybody survives that long. Well, yeah, that's the other part of this. Is, um be crushing if everyone died in the first episode of season two. Yeah, I wonder who has control over that. It's, honestly, it's not me, because y'all almost died at the Thieves Guild in season one, so really not me. No, 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 no. He almost died in the Mike's Thieves Guild. Mike's going to correct, correct things, yeah. No, no, it's definitely me. Mist and Silway saved him. But here's the thing. Now that Roton is high enough level that he gets to add his charisma bonus to all of your saving throws, you guys are going to want to stay pretty close to him. We'll see. Ten feet behind <laughs> is still within ten feet. Yeah, I, although I will say, uh, in, in regards to season one, I, often the problem wasn't them staying close to Roton, it was Roton staying close to them. You kind of wander off a few times. Yeah. Roton's very plot-motivated. Treasure is irrelevant. <laughs> and I will say, I'm looking forward to season two from a, a production value standpoint. Like, we've learned so much um, as we've been going through and editing and playing through these this first season. Like, the, the difference between the first three episodes and the last three is just astounding to me. And I'm looking forward to an entire season of, like, our better quality stuff. Including my microphone, which has finally been upgraded from the crappy one that's attached to my headset. And and my microphone. I had the same issue when I in the first five or six episodes before I upgraded my mic. And just adding sound effects that the you know, the music has gotten in there and just our ability to play off each other and get more comfortable with each other. It's everything's improved since the beginning. So if you haven't listened to those early episodes, eh, you know. Maybe listen to them. See how far we've come. Alright, we gotta wrap this up. We gotta right. Yeah, yep. that's so alright. Bye, everyone. See you next season. Stay well. Stay Thank healthy. Again. Stay safe. We love you so much, theater goers. Wash your hands. <laughs> what? It's good advice. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, moving on from that to to a far more serious subject. Uh, Mike, Aaron is curious to hear your thoughts on the movie Cats. <laughs> um, haven't seen it yet. A far more serious Haven't subject. seen it yet. Uh, I'm going to say, given the people involved, I expect that the singing and dancing would be fantastic. And that's largely what Cats as a production is. Um, however, there are a host of production decisions around the movie that make me go, huh, we couldn't figure out how to get the makeup to work under, stay on, you know, to stay on the characters. Have, have you tried to ask the theater people? Because like, they don't have a problem. So I, I haven't seen it. I'm curious to see it, but I have been well advised not to expect the same sort of experience that one would get by seeing it in person on the stage. But I mean, that's the, that's that, I mean, that's the thing is that's, you're never going to get that experience, the same experience that you would see on stage, you know, unless you go see Hamilton, which is going to be dope because they're going to use an actual broad, an actual taping of a Broadway production of it. So we'll all get to see it with the original Broadway cast. I, I mean, so, some of us already have, but you know, right, right, right. But but you're. I live in New York. <laughs> yeah, but the rest of us. But but you're not going to be able to lord that over the rest of us much longer. This so, is true. Uh, yeah. This is true. No. If theaters ever open up. Yeah, this is that's also true. So shall we? Um, I I just want to do this. I, I'm gonna. We're gonna keep it short, but we're gonna go around, and I I would like a simple roll call vote. Do you think Cats is a good show? Mike, I know your answer. Yeah. Yes. No. Adam? Uh, define good. <laughs> <laughs> Would you see it voluntarily if you had the option? Um, I mean, I just watched 16 hours of the ring cycle, so... <laughs> yeah, by that metric, yes. Yes, I would. Yeah, yeah, I definitely would. Uh, I... I'm not a fan of musicals with no plot. So this is a, a uh, trip behind the curtain in the truest sense. You don't know how much uh, we have cut out of various episodes, uh, just discussion about the play Cats. And Star Wars. Well, not so much. Yeah, Star Wars too. <laughs> but I think Star Wars were much, more, uh, were much more aligned in our views on Star Wars than we are on Cats. I mean, like some of the music from Cats is excellent. Like Memories is excellent. I would... I would watch it again as an adult, like to to see what it's like now that I have a better attention span than I did like the first time I saw it, which I was like I don't know like thirteen or fourteen I think at the time, uh, and I would see it again. But I don't see any way that it will make the list of my top favorite musicals just because it doesn't have much of a story. I think from what I know of the story. It, I mean, it's more in the style of, like, old vaudeville shows, uh, which can be entertaining in their own way, um, but it's not really what I look for in a, in a show. Into the Woods, excellent. Little Shop of Horrors, excellent. Those, those are my jams. I'm with you on both those. Into the Woods is amazing. So I think yet again, the cast discussion might fall on the editing room floor. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> 